going back to Cali, to Cali, to Cali. Hey, Light the Fight Podcast here. What's up, guys? Um, that's just my little happy song. Uh, let's. I want to start off the podcast tonight with, well, I'm recording it at night, with a better vibe. Last week, I was beat down. I was tired. Took me a little while to to catch my win and, and get going on the podcast, but today it's it's a different case. It's a new week. I'm riding a different wave, and part of it, I'm excited for my family um, California trip. Get to go do all the fun things I love, surf, beach, all those things, and so I'm excited to go home, see all my friends, family members, and just relax a little bit. So I'm in a much better mood. You don't have to worry about trying to counsel me and tell me it's going to be okay because. I was able to talk myself out of it, and I'm having a much better week and just a great day overall. And I wanted to thank everybody that's been a, a constant listener and fan of the Light to Fight podcast. We last week had our very best week ever of downloads, and so that's all thanks to all of your support and and just for sharing our podcast with your friends, um, communicating with us, and also I'd like to apologize again if. By some chance we've missed your message, resend us the message, the email for the direct message episodes, or if just in any communication with us whatsoever. No excuses on our end. We we just got to get better at following up with everybody. And I just wanted to say sorry, but you know, please respond back to us again and send us another message if you haven't gotten a response. And uh, we, we're getting a better system right now. We're we're getting a a, a little uh, better at. Um, delegating what Heidi does, what I do, what our producer does, what a couple of our minions that help us out with Light the Fight, basically the whole Light the Fight team. So big thank you from the entire Light the Fight team, and we're glad to have you here with us. And tonight's episode is going to be just me. So if you're wondering why Heidi hasn't chimed in yet, Heidi is out there chasing. If you follow her on Instagram or social media, she's out there chasing something very personal for her, and that's to achieve some uh, very important fitness goals that um, she's talked about uh, in great length here on the podcast. So we're really excited and happy for her. So we want her to go out there and take care of herself. She's If you ever run into Heidi and in the community, she always takes time to stop and talk to people. And so I told her, girl, go to St. George and and uh, take care of yourself. Have a good time with a bunch of ladies and you know work on your mental, emotional, but most importantly right now, your physical. And we're happy to have her there. But since she's gone, I'll be doing today's podcast by myself. And this was uh, a topic that Heidi has been asking me to do since we started the podcast. I really wanted to wait till school started for all you uh, listeners out there with kids. And I wanted it to be a podcast that, well, let me give you a little little disclaimer. This podcast, I want to be very clear with everybody that what I'm about to talk about, I'm just giving you information of how to handle some difficult situations that may, hopefully they don't come up. And what I'm referring to is all too often parents have very concerning things that happen at the school with their kids. So for example, maybe uh, you're a parent out there and your kid has experienced bullying. Maybe it's um, with a staff member at the school, a teacher, administration, Maybe there's an issue with a coach that's associated with the school. Basically, if you're a parent that you feel that your kid has been um, unjustly treated or um, they've dismissed your kid's complaints about feeling safe at the school, or if your kid has just flat out been assaulted, bullied, um, there, there's been some safety issues at the school, um, whether it be mentally, emotionally, or physically, 
this is the podcast where we're going to discuss that today. Um, it, it's it's a very unfortunate thing, but it happens. You know, I don't want to say all the time, but a lot of people throughout the years have come to me, and their kids have been you know sexually assaulted by a, a classmate. They've been bullied. Um, they've been mistreated by a teacher or staff at the school. And so I wanted to address what are the best practices or best ways to conduct yourself and to handle these situations so that you can be the best spokesperson and advocate for your child and so that you can be taken seriously. And I'm going to start off with talking a little bit about my own personal experiences from the past um, to really bring this whole entire thing home because Man, your boy Dave has had some crazy experiences that I'm going to share a couple of them with you because we don't have enough time to go through them all. But when I say crazy, I'll, I think you'll you'll see where I'm coming from once I get into the details of some things that I had to do in my profession working for agencies where I had to be the whistleblower. And I, from the internal side, working for the company, I had to report child abuse. I had to report bad conduct. Um, uh, some some lying about insurance billing, some things that definitely did not make it a safe work environment. But most importantly, when when the times I'm going to refer to with working with kids, um, I saw and witnessed some things that made it an unsafe environment for kids. And all too often, teenagers specifically and kids, they don't get the benefit of the doubt um, because a lot of times they have bad behaviors. And so sometimes people, adults can make mistakes they can um, handle a situation wrong, but for many different reasons that I'll go over, they actually, um, maybe they might cover something up. Maybe they might uh, not report the correct information to their uh, direct leaders or managers. And so I'm going to share some personal experiences. And I'm also going to share a personal experience that's been happening in the past six months in my own family which once I share this with you, um, you'll know I've had some stressful days when I came to the podcast. There was a couple of times when I came to record the podcast. Um, last time, actually, when I said it was a stressful day at work, it was a stressful day at work, but there was something going on with um, an incident of this nature that I'm not going to talk about this incident right now that, re that regarding my son, but there's an incident this past year that's regarding my daughter that's still an ongoing thing right now. I'm going to use that one because... I'm further down the line where I feel comfortable talking about that one. The one in regards to my son is something that I want to give the organization the benefit of the doubt, and I want to let things play out, and I'm going to describe to you why I'm doing it this way. And so this podcast is really going to be out there for you parents that have, have had to deal with this. Maybe you'll learn something from my experiences, and also for those people who have concerns that this may be happening or maybe something happening last year and they didn't follow through with. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. As always, it's going to be a deep conversation, but hopefully I say something stupid or silly that makes you laugh to kind of break up the, the seriousness of these topics because, you know, th these are some serious topics. You know, it's, we're, today we're not necessarily talking about suicide per se, but it can be related to maybe you felt that your school or certain members of the school faculty did not handle uh, your kid's mental, emotional health well. And so uh, another quick disclaimer, this is not a bashing on the education system. This is not bashing on schools. This is all case-by-case -case scenarios. 
by no means am I saying that schools are bad and you have to protect your kids. But what I am saying is sometimes stuff happens that schools don't even know how to handle. They're professional educators, not professionals at dealing with mental and emotional well-being. And of course, any school that's worth their weight is going to try to provide a safe environment. But leadership has a lot to do with that. Sometimes the right policies and procedures aren't in, in play. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. So listen up tightly and, and, uh, and hopefully you'll, I'm just being sarcastic because Heidi's not here. <laughs> More than hopefully, I, I believe you're going to get some valuable information. And if this information isn't relevant to you, please share it with anyone that might be struggling with trying to get uh, their kid's needs met and being taken seriously so your kid can feel safe and secure at the school. Or maybe it's not a school. Maybe it's a daycare. Maybe it's um, you know a, a soccer, football league. Whatever it may be, we want to make sure your kids are well taken care of in whatever uh, community um, event or social organization or education organization that they're participating in. So let me start out with giving you a little bit of background um, about some experiences that I had. Um, usually when Heidi's gone, you guys get to know a little bit more about some experiences, whether it be personal with me. Um, these experiences that I'm about to share with you are professional, but believe me when I tell you they're very, very personal. Now, the first one I'm going to share with you uh, happened back in 1999 uh, when I was just getting started in um, the, the counseling profession. I was going to graduate school to become a, a psychotherapist doing counseling psychology. And I got my first job at what's called a boys group home. And this story is, this ties, there's top, there's three stories that I can't pick which one was worse because they're horrible just in different ways. Um, because of time's sake, I'm not going to give all three. Um, I'm going to share two. And the third one, I'm not going to share. But the first one started in 1999. So I was hired to work as a counselor. This is my very first job as a counselor um, in, it was like December 1998, somewhere, somewhere in late 1998 where I got this job. And I was working at a residential boys group home. So for those of you who don't know what a residential boys group home is, it's a facility where young men are put because they either have behavioral issues, they've been in trouble with the law, and their parents um, do not feel that they can parent them and take care of them. They're too out of control. Or they've been assigned there by the court and because they've gotten in some, some legal trouble. There's a lot of different reasons why kids can get to these places. Um, these kids that are at these facilities are definitely, it's, it's a mixture of kids with severe mental and emotional issues and some with more strong behavioral issues. So when I was working at the, these organizations, um, they did a very good job to extremely heavily medicate these kids with psychotropic medications. I mean, these are some serious gorilla biscuits back in 1999. Now, I only hope that um, in today's world, being almost 20 years later, or 20 years later now, that um, I haven't worked in a boys group home for a long time. I, I can only assume that medication management has improved. But at this particular time, we didn't laugh as a staff, but we we're quite surprised at the many cocktails and the power of these medications. It seemed like th these kids were so sedated just to keep them so that they wouldn't have bad behavior. And so really quickly when I started working for this organization, 
so a, a cousin, well, not a cousin of mine, but a, a Samoan guy that I knew, he had told me about the job and uh, we'd known each other because we both played college football. He told me about the job and I went and applied for the job and you know I got the job. And pretty quickly I found out that there was some interesting things happening at this facility. And there was a lot of abuse going on in the facility and the abuse was coming from people who were there hired to work with these kids. Now, as I look back on this experience, um, the way I put it, there's four different types of people that worked at these facilities. One were the people that were uh, going to school and and just wanted to help kids. And, you know, they, they didn't necessarily have a lot of difficult life experiences, not to say they didn't have life stressors, but not extreme life experiences, tough lives. They're pretty straight-laced, straight-arrow people. And uh, you could tell they just wanted to go to school and help people, and they like to help people. So those are the givers and the caring people. And then there's people that I, I would put myself in this category that had some tough past experiences and had you know some difficult life experiences, gone through those life experiences, came out the back end, feeling inspired to give back and, and help young people because... It just knew how important it was to help people in very challenging times in their life. Then the third were people who had gone through hard life experiences, had a lot of difficulties and they had a lot of struggles. But instead of facing and dealing with those difficulties and struggles, they wanted to be in a power position or put themselves in a position where they were above other people who had similar issues. Now, the fourth one is my least favorite to talk about, but this is the one that I'm going to be referring to today. There were predators. People that sometimes they were sexual predators. Sometimes they were um, people that were deeply demented and um, had psychological and mental issues themselves. But because of the nature of the work, um, they weren't really too selective of who they hired to work for these kids because trying to keep someone to work, trying to keep someone employed at an agency that was the definition of chaos and it could be violent at any given second. And it was very, very hard work for very little pay. It was hard to turn down anybody that wanted to work there. So these are the four different types of people that I would categorize that stood out to me when I, when I started working at this job. And at this position that I had, I was just just a regular online counselor. And it was my job for about eight to 10 hour shifts to, um, so in each home, they would have um, about, I believe the, the number was, let's see, two, four, six. I believe the number was like about um, 10 kids. There'd be five rooms and uh, two kids to each room. And like I said, these were all boys, uh, preteens, uh, 18 years old. And as I started working for this agency, um, I saw some very shady things coming and going. I saw staff members instigating kids that were already on the edge and pushing them so that the kids would take a swing at them. I saw staff members going, go ahead, take a swing at me. Come on, come on. And posturing and pushing them. And if the kid was at its breaking edge, by the way, most of these staff members were big people. They didn't, rear, they didn't ought too often hire fragile people, but a couple of times that they did, um, there's one woman almost got killed by a teenage boy. He locked himself in the room, the staff room with her and uh, almost beat her to death with a TV. So this was, this was not a, and, and this facility was in the middle of the audio, very bad gang neighborhood. 
that it was, wasn't uncommon to hear sirens, gunshots, to to hear some pretty crazy stuff going on in the in the neighborhood right outside of these homes. And there was one, two, three, four, I believe there's four homes on the campus. And then they had other homes um, spread out throughout the city and other places. So um, I started working there. And one of the managers at this facility had uh, um, put up a sign that he was renting a room. And I just came back from college. I was living with my parents and I was definitely looking to get out of my parents' house. And it just so happened that this guy had an apartment across the street from the beach in my hometown on the street that I loved more than any other street. The street's called Acacia Street in Carlsbad, California. And Acacia Street's had all my best memories. I had tons of friends. I grew up in high school. I always knew at least one to 20 people that lived on the street. There's tons of apartments and it was just a two block long street and it was stopped by a railroad. So it was right on the beach and it was just, it was a community. Everybody knew each other. It was just a cool street. And so he had an apartment. So I'm like, are you serious? But everybody warned me about this guy. They said, this guy's a weird cat. He didn't have any friends there. No, none of the other people that the workers liked him. The kids, it was very interesting because he would pick a kid or two and he, those were his favorite kids and he would give them special treatment. And I started to notice that he was allowed to do things that other staff members wouldn't, weren't allowed to do. He was allowed to um, come back to work when he wasn't scheduled to shift and take kids that were on a high level, high level meaning they had good behavior, take them out to a movie theater, take them out for ice cream. And so he was like daddy war books there. And this guy worked, no joke. Sometimes he'd work close to 80 hours a week. Now you think like, how is that possible? He'd work a full day shift pull an overnight shift. I mean, I just thought it was insane how much this guy worked. So of course the company moved him up to management and he, this guy could get away with anything. He could yell at anyone there. He was that person that just got away with murder, but nobody said anything. He was this little guy that just complained about everything and yelled at everybody. But because he was such an asset to the company, he'd worked so hard that he just got away with everything. So I've always been capable of getting along with anyone throughout my history of my apartment roommate careers. I've had some interesting people as my roommates that everybody else would say, I don't know how you can live with that guy. But for me, I was just mellow. I was chill. I just get along with everyone. So I figured out, you know, I'd I'd get along with this guy. And a lot of, here's the rumor. The rumor was that he was gay. And I thought, so I, I've got gay friends. I, I didn't care. I mean, to me, that didn't bother me at all. If he's gay and I'm not gay, oh, well, you know. I'm not gay. It wouldn't matter to me. So I just, I told him I was interested, went and checked it out. And I'm like, sweet. So I started, I started living with him. Well, after a couple months, I started just, I, I won't go too far down this rabbit hole. There was just some really interesting, weird behavior. Um, his mom every month would send him uh, a care package. And in the care package would be lined with about five to 10 teddy bears, huge box. And he had a teddy bear collection and he's a 34 year old man and not to judge him, but that seemed odd, right? And uh, he had this teddy bear collection all around his room. And he had them up on shelves and just, it was very interesting to me. He was scared of a lot of things. He'd come up, he told me that he was scared that when he'd walk upstairs, that people underneath the stairs and going to grab him and pull him down. He couldn't have people walk behind him. And I'm sitting there going to graduate school. I'm like, hmm, those sound like a whole lot of interesting paranoia that probably come from trauma. But he never gave me a problem. He was cool with me. He was said I was the best roommate he ever had, yada, yada. Well, one weekend, I was supposed to go on a weekend trip with uh, my girlfriend at the time. 
And as I was supposed to spend the night at her house, um, and we were supposed to leave in the morning and go on this weekend trip camping with a bunch of friends and stuff. And he told me a couple days before the trip, um, I asked him, Hey, what are you doing this weekend? He goes, Oh, I'm going to go pick up someone, uh, that, you know, used to work at, used to, used to be at the, the boys, um, residential home and he's going to come spend the weekend with us. I said, like an old resident, like a teenage boy. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, but it's it's totally okay. Like I'm like a father figure to him. His social worker, his mother, you know, everybody, you know, like I got special permission. I'm gonna go pick him up. By the way, he was at Provo Canyon here in Utah. That's a state psychiatric facility. That's a lockdown facility that he's not allowed to leave, but he was allowed to fly home for LA visits. He said his mom is a deadbeat mom, doesn't want anything to do with them. So she says, I can just come pick him up and he can spend the weekend with me instead of with his mom. And in the back of my mind, I just thought, like, wait, you're not allowed to be with kids. You're not allowed to communicate with kids for two years after they leave. And he just reassured me, I'm special. It's totally different with me because I'm like a father figure. So all my red flags and spider senses, even back then when I had very little experience in in the game and in the industry, I'm like, that's – and I had already seen so many weird things happen at this place. Um, And by the way, before this this story I'm telling you had happened – this is a true story. An overnight female staff had sexual intercourse with six boys that lived in the house on a night that she got drunk and was on heavy uh, pain pills. The agency found out about it and they um, brushed it on the rug, told her that she had to resign because if they reported it, she would, you know, licensing and all this heat would come down on them. And this same boys group home, three years later, their executive director went to prison for embezzling over a million dollars. And the person who took over the executive director's job to run the organization was the assistant executive director. So if it sounds like I'm painting a little bit of a story here, I am. So everyone that worked there, a lot of my cousins worked there, people that I, you know, like that I got a job working there that loved kids. Everybody knew the place was shady. They would hot, they'd put peanut butter on graham crackers. They would cut every, like they would feed the kids just bare minimum old food because they didn't want to spend money. They said they didn't have money. So, you know, they'd say we're a nonprofit. We don't have money. We don't have money. But the person who ran the place drove a very nice brand new Mercedes. She wasn't very good at hiding that she didn't have money. That's a whole nother story. Point is, getting back to the story, I go to my girlfriend's house. We get in a fight that night. And I said, you know, I don't want to go on the trip with you. So I come home. It was about midnight. Well, before I went on the trip, I see this boy come through our apartment and he was sitting on the living room. His sleeping bag was on the, on the couch and all the stuff was by the couch. All the stuff was right by the couch, toiletries, everything. And I just started talking to the kid. I said, hey, so what's your story? And the kid started answering my questions. I go, so you're allowed to come out here to California from a lockdown facility and you're allowed to be here with this guy. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I go, go, really? And I started asking questions. He started getting really uncomfortable. And then all of a sudden, my roommate walked in and he's like, oh, he started to cover. Like, they got really uncomfortable when I started asking these questions. I go, so what are you going to do all weekend? Because my roommate had to work. He's like, oh, I'm just going to be walking around, hanging around the town. I'm like, this is not, something's off here. He was, had to be monitored 24 7 when he was at this facility, but he's just going to be walking around the town on his own free will all of a sudden. So, Something was fishy. So I come back at midnight and I walk up the stairs. Apparently I didn't make a lot of noise. I come in the apartment 
And I go into the, the refrigerator, or, you know, I pull out some Hot Pockets because that's how I used to roll back then. Hot Pockets. Again, a little sense of humor in the middle of a serious story. So I put in some Hot Pockets, warmed it up, got my ranch dressing because that's a must with Pizza Hot Pockets. So I go in my room, turn on the TV, and I uh, started eating the Hot Pockets. And then I started to hear a noise, a really weird, interesting noise from outside my room. I got up and I walked up and I opened up the door and, you know, this, this is very serious. So this, you know, I, I apologize for, I won't get into too much detail, but I started to hear some very loud moaning, very specific sexual moaning coming from his room. Oh, by the way, when I walked in the house, I didn't realize something until after I noticed the moaning and I said, wait a second. I totally forgot that this kid was at the house because when I walked in the house, there was no stuff in the living room anymore. I was so heated from this argument with my girlfriend. My mind was in a different place. And I just went, and I walked out the living room. I looked, all the stuff was gone. And it sounded like two people were having sex. I mean, that's exactly what it sounded like. My heart rate went up, my blood, I'd never felt what I'd felt in that specific moment at that time. It shook me to my core, it disrupted me, and I only had two thoughts go through my mind. I looked at his door, and by the way, the door was cracked, it wasn't even closed all the way. I looked at his door, and I thought to myself, I either walk away right now, which everything inside me said, I need to do something. And then the other option was I kick in the door and I, I beat the crap out of my roommate. And I'm just being honest with you. This is what went through my mind. And then another thought came through my head. Are you ready to see what you're about to see if you kick in that door? I left. I mean, I didn't left. I stepped back and there's a creaky spot in the hallway and I just... I went from, I was going to kick in the door and I said, I can't take that choice. I can't make that choice because the way I felt, have you ever been so angry that you were scared that you didn't know who you'd be if you let that anger out? That's what I was feeling. I was scared of what I might do and probably even more scared of what I might see. I took a step back. I accidentally stepped on that creek, made a loud creek sound. And then I looked at my bat, my bedroom door. I went in my bedroom door and I slammed it as hard as I could. It shook the whole entire apartment. And I started banging everything around. I got on my hoodie. I got on my jacket. Bam, slammed the door again. Went through, went to the front door, slammed the front door. And I walked directly across the street. There's this little stoop, these little cement benches. And I walked across the street and these cement benches are this boardwalk that overlooks the ocean. I'd always go there in the middle of the night if I couldn't sleep and just... Just a beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean. And I remember sitting there and I just broke down and started crying. And I remember I was just thinking to myself, what I do? How do I handle this situation? And I realized that I needed to go. I went back to my girlfriend's house. I told her what happened. And I said, we can't argue right now. I, I need you right now. And so she said, no, you're right. And so I slept there. I woke up and I, I started the process. I called the police. Um, I called the group home. 
expecting that even though the group home had some shady stuff going on, I just, I called the one lady at the group home that I believed was good. And if anyone was going to do anything, it was going to be her. Well, she was good friends with my roommate, but she's a good person. I believe she'd do the right thing. I told her everything that happened and all her response was, damn it. And she said the guy's name. She said it as if she just kind of knew this day was going to come. And she's like, I'm so sorry I had to go through this. And she's like, I always thought that he was just gay because he never had a girlfriend. He never had any dates. And she's like, but if he's gay, that's fine. She, she's like, I just assumed that it was, but I'm like basically his only friend. And all she she and I just started talking. We had like a two-hour conversation. She she was opening up to me, talking like a friend, not like a manager of the company. And I said, What are you gonna do? She's like, Well, I gotta go report this. I said, Okay. And I said, um, I go, okay, I go, I'm gonna she goes, What are you gonna do? I go, I'm gonna call. Actually, I, I called her first. I go, I'm gonna call the cops right now. I'm gonna call licensing and I'll call you back in a couple hours. She goes, Okay, I'll wait for your call. So I called her back in a couple hours. In a couple hours, she gets on, I call her, she gets on the phone. And it was like I was talking to a totally different person. I, what I didn't know at the time, that she was standing in the room with the director and an attorney. And they were waiting for me to call. And they were telling her what to say to me. She said, well, you know, um, well, let's not jump to any conclusions. Let's just assume that, you know, he's, you know, he's innocent. Like, he's been a great guy. And I'm like, wait, what? And so she started to do this total cover-up thing. And I was furious. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. She flipped on me and she acted like she had no idea what I was talking about. And I, I suspected something was going on behind the scenes. And then she called me back later on that day and told me what happened. I couldn't say anything. They were standing there. They're, they had an attorney come over instantly to tell her what to say. And they started coaching how to handle and how to cover this up. She'd found out then what she'd always suspected, that they were very shady and very dishonest and are willing to do anything to not get shut down, even if it meant hiding something like this. So what had happened was called licensing, called the police. The police came down, or before I get to that point, I went back to my apartment that next morning and I walked up to the apartment and I told the guy, I said, come here, we need to have a talk outside right now. And he's like, hey, what's up? He was shaking I mean, uncontrollably. I'd never seen him like that. He was always a little arrogant and cocky. like, And he was like looking at me. He's like, hey, David, what's going on? Like, uh, Is everything all right? Are you okay? And I said, I need you to come outside with me. I said, you need some serious help. I've reported you to the police. I reported you to licensing. And I called the facility and reported you to them. I wanted you to know from me that I was the one who did this. And he looked at me. He's like, What's going on? Like, you're making me feel like I'm a Chester molester. Like, Dave, I didn't do anything. I swear, I would never hurt a kid. I would never do, do anything sexually inappropriate. And he just started saying all the things that he knew he just did. And I just was looking him in the eyes with the most death stare. But I knew I had, I couldn't hurt him. I couldn't lay hands on him. But I was so emotional. I just felt that I wanted to tell him that I was the one to turn him in so he didn't get it twisted and think, where's this coming from? I wanted to look him in the eyes and let him know that it was me. And I said, I'm moving out right now. You're going to give me my full deposit back. Or no, rent was the next day. I said, I'm not paying you for rent. You can keep my deposit, but I'm not paying you for rent. And you're going to have to deal with that. If you want to sue me or anything, please go right ahead. I said, but I do not want you to talk to me or call me. 
I said, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you. If you try to attempt to talk to me or anything, I, I just, I just, I'm just going to avoid you. And I walked away and I walked across the street to my friend's house. I started shaking. I broke down crying. My other friend from up the street, by the way, he just happened to need a roommate. <laughs> he was like a surfer buddy of mine. So I got a, I got a new place to stay in the same day. And that guy and I, and I ended up becoming like best friends. So it created a friendship between the two of us. So a couple things that I want to tell you from the story, and, and because of time, I'm actually just going to use this story. I won't use the second one because the whole second one was in Northern California. And like I said, this is tied for first with this, this story. So the takeaway from the story is here you have an agency. Parents trusted this facility to not just keep their kids safe, but they were supposed to help their kids heal. They were supposed to help the, the kids get treatment counseling because there's therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists. I mean, this was a real business with trainings and therapists going in and out, but there's two worlds. There's a therapy world and the psychologist over here who didn't really know the kids and only talked to them an hour a week. And then there was the people who had to, basically we were like their parents. We'd have eight to 10 hour shifts. And every time a new person would come on shift, the kids would either be bummed out or excited depending who the workers were. And it was like, we were taking care of these kids being like surrogate parents while at this house. This was a place that was supposed to help these kids and all the parents and everybody that brought their kids there were hoping that this place was going to make their kids better. The trust, the faith that they put in us, it, it broke my heart. It really did. And I saw that there's so many good staff that work there that made the place look great because the face, the people you met at the front door and the people that you talked to were the best loving people, but intermixed you had wolves. You had people, maybe like the wolves would be the predators. The jackals would be the people who never got their own mental health stuff together and they weren't abusive, but they were instigating and they just were power and control. And then you had the sheep who were just the nice, kind people. And then I don't know, an animal you'd call the, the, the um, type of person I put myself in the category. But the point is, there are a lot of good people out there that do a lot of good things. And there are a lot of good people out there that make mistakes. And there's a lot of good agencies that maybe started off with a great um, mission statement, a great purpose, but some way along the line, they went wayward. Or maybe there's an agency that is fearful of, you know, accountability of things that might get them in trouble a little bit. So they cover things that they could easily address and cut out these problems to make the agency better. I'm sad to say that, you know, the, the police came down and investigated the boy and, uh, or investigated the situation. They interviewed the boy when he came back to Provo. The boy said, oh no, that no nothing like that happened. We have no idea what he's talking about. Him and the boy had the exact same story. Well, my neighbor underneath me had videotaped. I didn't even know I didn't become friends with the guy that lived in the apartment underneath us until he saw me crying outside and I told him what happened. He goes, check this out. He showed me videotape from six months earlier, the same boy coming. This was right before I moved in there and the boy running up the stairs, going up the stairs, they blasted the music really loud and he heard all these sexual noises and then they both ran down together and the boy, he goes, yeah, this boy has come a couple times every six months. And I, he hated my roommate. He wanted, I mean, he had bad thoughts about hurting him too, wouldn't talk to him. The guy who lived there before me, when he moved out, 
he spray painted the side of the fence with some very provocative, he, he said he spray painted pedophile on the side of the fence. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I had no idea because I'd never talked to this guy that lived below us. The guy that lived below us thought I was his friend and didn't know I was just a guy renting a room. And by the way, that guy that saw me crying and the other guy that saw me crying to this day are two of my very best friends. They're family. They're brothers of mine. And we got that connection because they saw me in a very vulnerable moment. So the police interviewed them. They both had the same story. The agency decided that they were going to give him three days without paid leave and he wasn't fired. Nothing happened to him. He kept his position, but with one stipulation, he was no longer allowed to be alone with boys. I gave him my resignation. I told them, I said, okay, I'm gone. Well, one of my friends that still worked for there pulled up the boy's file the day this all happened before they had a chance to find, uh, before they had a chance to cover the file. Guess what it said in the boy's file why he originally came to the facility? Prostitution. The boy was selling himself for sex since he was 14 years old. And he came there at like 15 got checked out at like 16 and a half and had been coming back every six months to stay with my roommate since then. So this is a very extreme example. And I know, well, I don't know this, but if you are thinking, what does this have to do with my kid at school? Well, sometimes it could be education, it could be church, it could be, like I said, a soccer league, it could be a daycare there are some things that happen and some people that make some mistakes and some people above them are fearful of the mistakes affecting everybody's job and they attempt to change the narrative. I'm not saying that this is gonna happen every time. I'm not saying if your kid's being bullied at school that this is what's happening at your school. But what I am saying from my experience, by the way, just to be very clear with you, I personally was the lead whistleblower on five different organizations and all five of them got shut down. So I blew the whistle, but I can't do the investigation. I don't shut people down. It wasn't my opinion, but every single one of those situations, nobody said anything or did anything until I said something, I did something and I followed through and then people came out with their testimonies. Then people came out sharing. And these are teachers. I was working for this one school in Northern California and that's the other one. Everybody talked about it. Everybody knew something's going on. And until I witnessed it with my own two eyes and reported it to the police and everything, nobody talked about the things that they'd been seeing for years. And I asked myself, I like these people. They're great people. But why did they not do anything? They're only getting paid $10 an hour anyways. They're paying, getting paid crappy wages. What were they protecting? And I realized something. They didn't know what to do. They weren't trained. They weren't given the right information. And the more you get emotional and complain and blow up, like an earlier podcast, the more you blow up, the less likely you are to follow up. So we would hang out as staff at these schools and these agencies and talk about how all these horrible things were happening and vent and dump it. And then we'd go home and be so tired, exhausted, we just had to rest to come back for the next day. I know a lot of people in education, teachers specifically, they have horribly tough jobs and they don't get paid the money that they should. And everybody knows that. But a lot of times these good teachers, they realize their hands are tied. 
they'd try to run things up the pipeline. They'd try to get things taken care of that were even having to do with kids' safety. And they didn't feel like they had a voice. So I'm sharing this with you. And I'm going to end in just a minute with a personal experience. Because I have to confess something. I'm actually part of the reason why I'm telling you guys this right now is because I'm actually having to take my own advice. Something happened with my daughter in March and I did a lot of the work up to that point, but I stopped and I've been sitting on this for the past couple months and I'm going to share this in a little bit. And when I share this with you guys, it'll just be the closing of everything that I'm saying. But right now what I want to do is I want to give you some actionable steps that you can take because this great schools out there, the great teachers out there, it only takes one bad teacher, one bad school to give education a bad rap. So I have to make it extremely crystal clear. If anyone messages me and says, you are disrespecting educators and you are making it look like all educators are bad, you need to rewind to this part of the podcast. What I'm saying is we need to address the ones who are not doing their job and they need to be held accountable and it is not going to be with a firm fist. It's not going to be with threats. It's going to be taking steps and following through and not allowing your emotions drive you to a place where you're too exhausted to actually do the things that you need to do. So there are a few things that I've learned that um, would cause individuals to try and cover up or try to minimize or dismiss um, bad mistakes, bad policy, um, or just, you know, not keeping kids safe. Uh, some of those may be... Um, Maybe the school or the organization or the agency set up unrealistic expectations. So in the boys group home thing, they were telling people that they were going to make life changing. They're going to take your kid who was a menace to society and they were going to turn them around, but they couldn't deliver on that because some of these kids had some really hard times and their approach was very authoritarian. It was very hands-on and it was very aggressive and they would kids would get restrained daily. Multiple kids would get restrained daily. And sometimes it was necessary and sometimes it was very unnecessary because they weren't hiring people who had the right personality types, the right capabilities. They were hiring just anyone that would take the job. And all too often, these people should not have been working with at-risk teenagers. So that's, that's one thing that can cause things to go astray. Another thing is um, fear of being accountable. A lot of these agencies, and when I say agencies, it could be schools, whatever, um, they're, they're fearful of people telling them that they're doing a bad job and how that may make them look. So they become defensive. And um, they're fearful that if they admit fault in any way, that that would equal them being guilty and that would equal them being sued. So they would say, for the greater good, we do a better job we do a better job at helping kids and every now and then we screw up. So let's cover up our screw ups so that we do not get shut down or get closed down. So to make that very simple, um, a lot of times people fear accountability and saying that we made a mistake because they're fearful that that would be an admission of guilt. Another thing is uh, they have so much stress from their job and they're so underpaid 
it's easy to justify. And this may not be the agency. This could be a teacher. This could be a counselor. Um, there's lots of counselors that I worked with that I reported because they had abused kids that were there because they were abused. So it's quite an oxymoron, but abused kids could say horrible, hateful things to adults that were not very tightly wired themselves and had some of their own emotional issues. And they would end up snapping and harming kids and throwing them down and muscling them down. And and the kids had no voice because who are you going to believe? The kid who's in a, in a, a treatment facility or the staff who's there just trying to help. So um, oftentimes that could go wrong. And people would say, I'm so stressed out. They don't pay me enough. And even though I made a mistake, I manhandled a kid or in, in a school environment, it's more likely that a teacher will see something happening or a, a worker at the school sees something happening and they just don't know what to do. And maybe they have the intention to write an instant report and they want to do it, but they're so busy and so stressed out. They put it off, they put it off. And then before you know it, nothing gets done. And the reason why I'm telling you guys this is not to scare you, but to inform you that this happens even by good people because they're people. So from my experience, these things happen far more often than you would, than I would want to believe and far more often than you would realize. So I'm not insinuating a witch hunt. I'm not insinuating you go out and you try to blow the whistle on your school because you suspect there might be something. But what I am saying is that when something comes to your attention from your kids, let's say your kid is being bullied at school and you go to the school and you feel like it's not followed through with, you feel like they don't take it serious, you're most likely going to get emotional. Now, granted, if you go to your school and they handle this seriously and they nip this in the butt and they take care of this, bravo, applaud them, thank them, post on social media, give them the praise that they deserve. So I'm speaking about the, the small percentage. Well, I say small, like kind of... I just said it happens more often than we realize. So I know I'm contradicting myself. Instead of saying small percentage, I'm saying the percentage of the time when this isn't happening is what I'm referring to. So if people do a good job and they handle bullying using this example in, in a way that you feel is great, make that be known. Of course, only make it be known if your kids are okay with it. Maybe just tell your friends, your neighbors that you like the school because they handle it very assertively and took, took charge and they took it serious. Now, a little quick pause and time out. Let's not forget what happened in Florida this past year. That is an extreme example, but this is reality. How many school shootings have we had? How many issues on you're watching on YouTube, on social media, on these websites where it's showing kids getting beaten up, bullied, mistreated, video proof? These are things that we as parents have to take very seriously, but we have to know how to walk, not run in these situations. So here's what I suggest you do. In this school year, if you feel that your kid is being mistreated in any way, shape, or form, I want you to first figure out what is the proper chain of reporting. So for example, you may think that I want to tell the teacher about this. I'm not saying don't tell the teacher. I would just suggest, and this is David Kozlowski, the person, I would just suggest that you go to the administration, 
you send an email to the administration, the teacher, and everybody that you, you feel would be a person to, and CC everybody on it, because the more eyes that are on something, it increases the chances of accountability and follow through. If you send it to a teacher and she's busy, could be a great teacher, it may slip through the cracks. If you send it just to the vice principal, it may slip through the cracks. You want as many eyes on this situation as possible. Now, if it's an urgent situation and it's a life-threatening or a very serious situation, it's also your responsibility as a parent to call the police if it's a violent sexual type situation, bullying type situation. If it's a situation involving a kid with another kid, um, you know, I do not suggest going to the kid's parents and handling it that way. I would suggest, first of all, using the proper chains. So if you're not sure what the proper chain of command is, um, find out what it is. And like I said, communicate with as many people all at once. And the next thing I tell you to do, document every single thing that you do. So if your kid comes home on 3.30 on a Thursday, you take a separate note. And here's the hard part. You don't even want to write about it because it's going to make you angry and upset, but I'll share my personal experience with that recently. So you're right. It is going to bring up emotions. You're not going to feel like you have the energy to write about these things and you still need to write about them. Write down at 3.30 on this day, my kid came home and said this, but you can't write it in story form. You have to write it as if it's a police report. 3.30, this happened. Boom, boom. And give as much detail to help your brain remember the instances. I emailed on this date principal, teacher, school counselor, CC'd everyone, and then keep a copy of that email. You're building a file and a paper trail showing that you are not one of those parents that's going to run into the school's office and start yelling and complaining to everybody and saying they're doing a horrible job because all those parents screw it up for all the other parents. I'm imagining, I've never been an administrator of school, but I imagine that, and teachers as well, they, they get a lot of complaints from a lot of unruly parents who are modeling how to be emotionally unstable and how to complain and yell and blame people. Shaming someone is not going to get you taken serious by anybody, by the organization, by the agency, by the school, by the teacher. If you're frustrated and you're angry, then wait a day. Do not go in and try to talk to anyone you're upset. Talk to your spouse, talk to your friend, get it off your chest first, clear some space, and then set up a time where you can go in there. Now, before you go in there to talk to anyone, write down a list of talking points. Big mistake that every parent does, well, when I say every parent, I don't know why I said every, that a lot of parents do, they will go into these situations and start rambling on, and then this happened, and this happened, and then they'll talk about something that happened the previous year that made them doubt for this year, and they get so far off topic that they don't even know where they started from. If you want someone to take you seriously, you have to be organized, structured, and you have to deliver, here is what I would like to share my concerns are. Here is what actionable steps I would like to know you guys are going to take, and then here are the steps that I would like you to take. So what do you expect the school to take? Or what, what, what is the school going to take? So you may need to go to the school's website, pull up their policy and conducts, find out if it's bullying. And they'll, they have to have this now. And especially with gun control and everything, um, when I say gun control, I meant with gun violence at schools. They, if your school does not have anything mentioning gun violence in their policies and procedures, they needed to have that a long time ago and they're seriously outdated and that is a big concern. 
but you need to pull up from their website what is their policy and procedures and tell them, ask them, are you going to fall? Have you followed these steps? If they haven't had enough time, are you going to follow these steps? If they say yes, will you please report to me every step along the way that you did? Because the way I approach the way I approach these situations is you should be going to the school saying, we are partners, and I want to give you the benefit of the doubt that this is not intentional, or if it's an agency, that this is a mishap, it's a mistake, and we're partners in this. So you want to assume that they do not want any legal responsibility, that they don't want to cause any harm or make any of you any kid there feeling safe. So you're going to them saying, I'm doing this to help you not to get you in trouble. I want my kid to be at your school to make this better, not to create a lawsuit or not to villainize you or post about you online and say horrible things about your school. I actually just want things to be better. And if there's a hole, if there's a policy that needs to be put in, maybe this could help you guys do that. So take that approach and tell them that your job is to help, not to criticize or demean or to shame them or to make them feel guilty, okay? All these things, well, these things I just said will help you increase the probability that they're going to see you as being different than the crazy parent who flies off the handle and threatening lawsuit. If you go in there and you threaten a school with the lawsuit, well, now they may not even be able to talk to you. Now they may say, you know, I, I'm sorry, but like, I, you know, we might need to talk to our attorney. So you don't want to threaten a lawsuit. Okay, but know that in the off case that there is a cover-up and something bad did happen, you have to be willing to take every single step necessary to keep your kids safe, and this process may take a long time. If you want swift justice, then you're going into this with unrealistic expectations, and you may be part of the problem. When I say part of the problem is that if you want swift justice, you may be modeling for your kid, not that you're going to protect them, but that you are going to create a scene and make it so now that they have to leave the school. Not all kids that are being mistreated by one kid wants to leave the school. Not all kids that are being bullied want to abandon all their friends and start over. Sometimes they just want to get the situation dealt with so it can be a better environment for them. So these are some, these are some, uh, some, some actionable steps. So don't threat. Don't threat lawsuit. Don't um, come at them saying, how dare you let this happen? And with the intense, mean demeanor, talk to other people, calm yourself down, write out what you want to talk to them about, pull up their policies and procedures, educate yourself of what their expectations are, and then tell them how they plan to follow through the expectations and that you would like to, them to report to you to let them know what they fall through on. If you do not feel comfortable with the information that they're sharing with you and feel like they're withholding information, then you would take further steps. But at this point, follow through like that. In the worst off-case scenario where you feel that it is not being handled correctly, then you would need to consult with an attorney. I am not an attorney. I do not tell my clients any legal information. I'm just telling them how to approach a situation that's a difficult situation. And when I'm talking to you guys right now, I'm telling you what I've learned personally from my personal experiences, because in that first experience, you know what I would have gone back differently? I wouldn't have told them, I turned you in. I did this. I did that. At that time, as a young man in my 20s, I felt like I needed to look a guy in the eyes and tell him it was me. Now, if I would have had to do that all over again, I would have done a lot of it the same, but I would have done it very quietly. 
very step-by-step. And I wouldn't have told them I'm doing this because you know what happened? They called their attorneys. They, they put together their defense. They put everything. And apparently, I don't know this for a fact. This is just hearsay from other people who work there. A lot of the information about the situation was changed and was covered up. I don't, like I said, I didn't work there anymore. So this is just what was told to me. So here's, what, here's what's going on in, currently in, uh, in my situation. Oh, yeah. Um, one, a couple of things I almost forgot. Follow through with every phase. Um, if you do, if your school is a charter school, um, charter schools have a different board. They have a, the charter school board. Um, it's not the state board of education. If it's a public school, please contact the public school state board. Um, share with them that you have a concern and that you would like to talk to someone about it. Go through the proper channels. If it's a if it's charter school, call the charter school board. Say, hey, I'd like to I'd I'd like to talk to someone about a concern that I'm having. Don't come at them saying I need to tell you guys what's happening and some horrible things are happening. Realize that these are these are people that can help you, or these are people that can look at you that you're on a witch hunt trying to ruin people's careers. And and now if if you're listening to this and you want to ruin someone's career, I you know I. I don't know what to say to that. I mean, I, I would definitely say, well, I definitely say don't do that. Okay. So I know to say that, but I, this is not the information I'm talking about. This is not what I'm telling you about. I, I do not encourage trying to ruin people's careers. Okay. But I do encourage having enough things happen and enough paper trail happen that it can change policies and it can make the environment for your kids safer. Um, and, uh, you know, be very detailed, keep great notes times and dates of everything and just build, like keep a file on your computer and a hard file, print out everything, all your interactions with everyone. So if in the worst case scenario, and if there's a really bad case scenario that you did have to consult with an attorney, you can walk up and you can make your attorney's job easier and you can be taken more serious. So that's what I'd suggest in that point. Now, getting back to my little confession. So in March, um, I, so this is regarding my daughter. Now, couple important things in second grade. I'm not going to name the uh, the teacher because we love my daughter's teacher. Not going to cha- cha- uh, name the, the boy that was involved in this incident, but I will name the school uh, simply because I, I think it's important to just share um, the school's name that this happened to, it happened at. And it's also for me as a father, I wanted to let people know that this is a great school my daughter had great experience with the education, and um, I feel they're seriously behind because my daughter's in another school, and this new experience is a much safer environment for my daughter, and I believe anyone else to go there. So if your kid is local and goes to the school that I'm referring to, I'm not talking negative on the school as a whole. I'm speaking specifically to how they handled my daughter's situation and specifically to their policies and procedures. And so that's what I'm about to comment on. So what had happened was in March, my daughter, um, my wife got an email, not a phone call, not a text, an email. She opens up her email and it's about uh, 2.30. She's supposed to go pick up my daughter at 3.30 or somewhere in those timelines. And the email stated, now I'm going to paraphrase this email and I may post this email blacking out some people's names because and I had to read this email about 30 times before I realized that this was actually real. I could not believe that I was reading this email and I couldn't believe that it was said like this and I couldn't believe that. So here's what it said. 
it said, today there is an incident with this boy. Now this boy, a little side note, is the boy that sits by the teacher. He's always going to the principal's office. He's special ed, which obviously doesn't make him a bad boy. It's just, it's just a fact, right? Special ed. And um, he's the boy in class that is considered the bully. He's the one that all the other kids shun and do not want to be around him because he's, he's, he's that kid. He, and the teacher had told us plenty of times, apologizing. But my daughter befriended him over Christmas. This boy, someone in the class had hidden his stuffed animal. And he couldn't find it. He started crying. And so I'm now backing up to Christmas time just to give a little added, a uh, little information. So my daughter, she is, she's very unique in the sense that maybe she gets it from me, but she's like, how can I help you? And so she saw that he was crying and this boy had never cried. He was always like, you know, yelling and screaming and jumping on the desk, doing whatever he does. And she saw him crying. She said, what's wrong? And he said, and the teacher's like, he lost his stuffed animal. He can't find it. My daughter's like, I'll help you find it. So she ran around the room and she found it hidden behind all the like little places where the kids put their stuff. So it was obvious that someone hid it there. It couldn't have fallen in that area. And so she found it, brought it to him and he just went, no way. And he gave her the biggest hug and said, thank you so much. Well, for the rest of that week, he just wanted to be her friend and he was trying to be nice to her because before then she was coming home every day saying this kid's name. Where it would, did it have a good day or a bad day? If she had a good day, she said because this boy was nice to her. She had a bad day, it's because he was picking on her and mean to her and calling her names, but he was doing it to everybody. But for some reason, he was really doing it to her after this incident, not incident, after he helped her find the stuffed animal. My daughter had told me that, Dad, he, he's different. And he'll come around me and he'll say really mean, weird things and laugh in my face. And he'll pretend like he's going to punch me all the time in the face. My daughter would step back and get scared. He goes, oh, what are you going to do, cry? She's like, no, I'm not going to cry. I just don't like it. Like, please stop that. And he goes, ah, and laugh at her and walk away. Well, he'd always do this when he'd do this. And then the next day he'd say, hey, want to play? She's like, no, I don't want to play. Like, you're mean. I don't want to be your friend. And he'd go, fine. Well, one day in line, now fast forward back to March. They're getting ready to leave recess. So there's teachers that witnessed this in her whole entire class. She was grabbing, like pulling on her friend's jacket and her friend had a hoodie and a jacket that they were kind of playing tug of war with. And the friend let go of it and the jacket flew back and it hit him in the face. And apparently the zipper or something like that might've hit him on the face or something that hurt him. And he goes, ow, and he screamed. He said, you hurt me. And she turned around and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. And, and he goes, you did it on purpose. And her response was, come on, you know I didn't do that on purpose. And he goes, yeah, you did it on purpose. She goes, no, I didn't. He goes, oh, yeah? Well, I'm going to hurt you. Well, my daughter has been taking jujitsu, and I, I purposely want her to do that to give her self-confidence, to not to be scared of bullies and to just feel confident, not to fight, just to be confident. And she stepped up and she said, oh, yeah, you're going to hurt me? And she was like, stood straight up. And just like she was taught to do. Like, what are you going to, like, she's like, you're going to hurt me? And he goes, and he stopped and thought about it for a second. Well, my daughter earlier in the class had told her class that she was excited because her dad was coming to eat lunch with her on Friday. It was my birthday coming up and I was coming to eat lunch with my daughter on my birthday. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to hurt you. And she goes, oh yeah, how? And he goes, your dad's coming to lunch with you on Friday or whatever, you know, whatever the day was. She goes, yeah. He goes, well, I'm going to go home. And I'm going to get my gun and I'm going to bring it back. And I'm going to shoot your dad in the head and kill him 
on his birthday. And my daughter, she told me, she said, dad, I didn't know what to do. They didn't teach us that in jujitsu. She's like, it caught her off guard. The teacher heard it. Everyone's like, what? They grabbed him and pulled him back. And all the, my daughter broke down into tears and started crying. All the other kids came around like, what's going on? And the teacher heard it. The other kids heard it. So they quickly go in the room. Well, their teacher went and told the school. Well, that day, the school said there's a couple other incidents that happened. So the teacher told us that she was instructed by the principal to email us and said, email them, tell them what happened, and then tell them that if they have any questions, they can go and email the vice principal. Now, this principal never met the principal, always met the teacher, always met the vice principal. The, te the principal would walk around with this dog, wouldn't say anything, and just go in a room. And by the way, in this whole entire process, I've never once been able to speak with the principal, not one time. So my wife gets an email that says, Exactly what happened. The boy said, I'm going to hurt her. She said, oh, yeah? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, I'm going to go home, get my gun, bring it to school, shoot your dad in the head and kill him. By the way, this is about 20 days after the Florida shootings. So in my mind, my, my wife calls me, tells me this. My wife's like, I'm already on it. I'm on my way to the, to the school right now. And I'm going to go talk to them. She gets in there. They said, the principal is too busy. The vice principal is too busy. The school counselor brings her in. And my wife's, you know, obviously upset and shaking. So what's going on? She said, hey, we're handling it. And she saw the little boy leaving with his parents. And it was about two o'clock, almost, almost two o'clock at this time. And he said, he said, yeah, we're taking care of it. My wife's like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, sorry, we can't tell you what we're going to do. It's, it's private confidential information. So my wife is like, you're falling through this. You're going to take care of this. You go, yep, yep, we're going to take care of it. And we just figured, because this kid is just, I mean, it's, 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 it's unspeakable how much this kid was in trouble. It was just, it was, it was a joke, right? All the parents knew it. The teacher knew it. The teacher always said, I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what to do with this kid. Like, we can't do anything. Our hands are tied. That's what the teacher said. And I, I got where she was coming from. So come home. I'm, I'm furious. I'm upset. My wife's like, no, I handle it. Let's just see what kind of happens. And so that was on a Friday. So I, on, uh, or no, that was on Thursday. On Friday, I didn't know this, but I assumed that the boy was suspended, everything happened. And so I went out of town, I came back. And on Monday, I was talking to my daughter. And I'm like, I'm like, so has it been good to have, you know, this boy gone and not there? And she said, she goes, oh no, he was there the next day. I said, excuse me? She goes, yeah, he came back to school the next day. And I'm like, did the timeline, I'm like, wait, so he was suspended for an hour and a half? That's when I said, okay. So I called the police. I called DCFS. Um, you know, I called DCFS to tell them, say, listen, this is a situation. I wasn't sure if the school reported this. Um, you know, it, it, it just really caused a lot of concern and worry for me that the school wasn't following up with this. So then fast forward, um, the police officer, you know, that, that was a whole separate note, but the way he handled it was not a good way for anybody. Um, so told the vice principal, we want to talk with her. Or no, told them we want to talk with her. Again, the vice principal said, I'm going to be the one talking to you. The, the principal's too busy. Went and talked with her. My wife shared her concerns. The vice principal said, this is what she said. She's our hands are tied. We can't do anything. I said, your hands are tied? She goes, yeah. She said, we, we, you know, we, 
I'm just telling you right now, there's not a lot we can do. And I can't tell you why there's not a lot we can do because he's special ed. And she said, well, I can't really comment on it, but she kind of alluded to, I was right. I said, okay, so why your hands are tied? And she said, you know, we, we can't just suspend kids, this, that. I go, he's the kid that always gets in trouble. I mean, she agreed with everything I said. She goes, yeah, yeah, but our hands are tied. I said, well, let me untie your hands for you. I said, you're a charter school. You can get rid of them as soon as you want. By the way, I consulted with my friend who's an attorney, a child attorney. And he said, first thing he asked is, is this a charter school or public school? I said, charter school. I said, they can get rid of them right away. I'm like, this is just all they'd be losing out is money. Pause, right? So I very calmly, I had everything written out. My wife did not. She was very emotional. And I just said, well, let me help you untie your hands. I want to help you. If this kid is in is a, is a struggling situation. I go, I'm sympathetic. I'm a mental health counselor. If he's having these issues, then I don't want this kid to be kicked out of school per se, but maybe you guys aren't capable of handling this type of situation. Maybe. And she goes, out of the 12 years we've been here, she said, she goes, I wouldn't, I wouldn't plan on that happening. I said, why is that? She goes, out of 12 years we've been open, we've only expelled one kid. And the only reason why I expelled him is because he strangled another kid three times, the same kid. On the third time, he almost caused the kid to pass out and we had no choice but to expel him. So, you know, we're, you know, we've only expelled one kid in 12 years. And in my mind, I thought, wow, you're either the best school in the world to only expel one kid or you're, you're, you're writing checks that you can't cash. You're trying to save every kid, which is honorable, but it may not be realistic. So I assessed that they were not capable of keeping my daughter safe. And I said, well, here's, she goes, she goes, is there anything else? I said, yes. I want to make it very clear, my, my request. My request is that this boy be moved out of the school until further, like, you guys can evaluate his situation, his 504 plan, his special ed, whatever it needs to be done. But I want him at least moved out of the school. I go, I would prefer him being transferred to a different school that actually can take care of his mental, emotional, behavior, whatever his needs are. I believe that you guys are not meeting those needs based upon my experience with my daughter this year. And my daughter's having nightmares. She's scared to death to go back there. So they said, well, you know, I'll have to consult with an attorney. I, I'm not allowed to talk to you anymore. So that was that afternoon. They called me first thing in the morning. She said, I just want to let you know, we consult with an attorney and uh, we followed all the policies and procedures. We didn't do anything wrong. And, um, you know, we, you know, we, we, we can't move this kid out of the school. We can't move him out of the class. I said, well, can you move my daughter out of the class? She's, they said, no. They would not move my daughter out of the class. So they had, to hide, they had to have a special assistant in the room that was working in the classroom. It was her job to make sure that she kept this boy away from my daughter all day long. My daughter kept on coming home. We'd have talks about it. My daughter said, I want to stay at the school the rest of the school year. By the time the end of the school year, she's like, Dad, I didn't want to go to a different school. I can't take this anymore. Nightmares, crying. And I said, that's it. So... We brought her over to South Jordan Elementary School. By the way, the school I'm referring to, it's Channing Hall. It's a charter school here in Draper, Utah. And again, we love her teacher. We had great experiences with the education. And this was not an education issue. This was a policy and procedure issue. This was a gun threat. They said, well, he was second grade. We didn't think that, you know, we talked to the parents and, you know, we didn't think that it was a real threat. My response was, how do you know his dad doesn't have a gun? How do you know he doesn't have access to a gun? And with everything just in Florida happen, do you think this is a safe play? So the last words I said to the school was simply this. I assume you're worried about the repercussions of dismissing this boy, expelling this boy from your school. I get it. 
because you could make the family mad. I said, but by keeping the boy at the school and my daughter not being safe, you're definitely not making me happy. So you're not going to make everybody happy. You just got to pick which person that you prefer to upset the school. I mean, the, this parent and this kid or me. So that was the last conversation I had with them. I talked with the state board of education. Uh, I tried to attempt to communicate with the charter board. I thought that was going to go well. Um, there's been no follow through with that. And the school said, I'm sorry, there's not what we can do for you. So my daughter is now in South Jordan Elementary School. And let me tell you, this school does not get high praises and awards for no reason. My daughter is a different person now. Having your kids being safe changes them. Just like having them feeling unsafe changes them. I wish that this wasn't a true story. But at the same time, if you're listening to this and you've experienced much worse than this, this story is an example. There is much worse than this. I've counseled plenty of people that come to me that have had horrible situations that have happened to kids doing bad things to their kids at school. And some of them went well, some of them did not go well. So this is a case-by-case -case basis. But I encourage you as a parent, since it is your job and your responsibility to keep your kids safe, to take actionable steps, write things down, and follow through. So my follow through that I'm doing tonight was many months ago, I said, you know what, I need to share this in a podcast. I need to talk about this. I didn't want, I never went to social media. I never posted bad things about the school. I may, I haven't decided at this moment if I want to post the picture of the letter. Maybe I'll leave that up to you guys. If you guys have uh, taken the time to listen to this podcast, um, please message and, and let me know if you'd like me to just post a copy of the letter. Now I will block out the teacher's name and I will block out the, the boy's name because for me, it wasn't about the boy. By the way, I, I went to the school. Um, this is one thing that I left out. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'd suggest this for everybody because not everybody could pull this off. But I went to the school to have lunch with my daughter. The staff saw me come in there because parents were allowed to be there. And they must have sent out a signal that keep an eye on me because they're probably worried that I may do something to this boy or threaten him. Obviously, that wasn't the case. So um, I found out who the boy was. I had lunch with my daughter. All of her friends came around. And I asked her friends. I said, hey, are you friends with her? And they go, yeah, we, we're friends with her. I said, so as friends, if someone was bullying her, mistreating her, um, would you stick up for her? They go, yeah. I said, as she would stick up for you? I said, yeah, exactly. And I don't mean stick up, mean like go fight the kid, like go tell and let people know. And the kid there was like, yeah. And he pointed out the kid. He goes, yeah, but he's not her friend. So I went up to the little boy and I said, hey, he didn't know I was her dad. I said, hey, are you so-and-so? He goes, yeah. And I looked at my daughter. My daughter's standing right next to me. I said, are you her friend? And he looked at her. He's like, yeah, yeah. He was like bouncing off the wall. I could tell that this kid was just, brrr. I mean, I don't know what his diagnosis is, but he's got some stuff going on, right? Or maybe he doesn't have a diagnosis. My point is he was bouncing. He could barely sit still when I was talking to him for a few seconds. I said, you're her friend? I said, I said, oh, I'm so glad that you're her friend because friends watch each other's back. So since you're a friend, can I count on you? If anyone's mean to her, if anyone's disrespectful to her at all, you know, will you, will you go tell the teacher and, and protect her? He goes, oh, absolutely. I would always protect her. I always keep her safe. I said, thank you very much. That makes me feel very safe because this is my daughter. And he jumped back and looked at me. He goes, oh. he goes okay. And he started to shake. And I said, no, no need to be scared. I'm glad that you're going to protect my daughter and keep her safe by telling the teachers if someone's mean to her. And he goes, okay. So my daughter wanted to go out to the, part, the playground and walk outside and go play. 
And he fell back and kind of was shadowing us and walked behind us. Well, a teacher came up to me that was listening to the whole entire conversation. And he looked at me and said, I don't know where you learned to do that, but I am so impressed. And I said, excuse me. He's like, I heard every word that you said to that kid. He's like, that was amazing. He's like, that was the best father talking to a kid who's been mean to his daughter. And I said, oh, you know about what's going on? He's like, and he just kind of looked at me and smiled. And I said, because their word was out that they're supposed to keep them away from each other or supposed to keep him away from her. And I said, well, thank you. He's like, he's like, that was, he's like, you should teach a lesson on that. And I smiled at him. I said, yeah. And I go, well, I go, I have an unfair advantage what I do for a living. And he goes, what do you do? I go, I'm a counselor. I'm a therapist. He's like, I go, yeah, I work with kids like this all the time. So I have nothing against this kid. I went outside in the soccer field. This kid was standing out on the side wanting to play with us. And he said, can I kick the ball with you guys? I looked at the kids. I said, what do you guys think? And they looked and they said, sure, as long as he's nice. And he walked up. He kicked the ball with them a couple of times. The bell rang and it was done. That kid wanted to be accepted. He wanted to be a part of the group. Whatever his struggles are, I really do feel for that young man. And I'm not mad at him. However, I do hold people accountable. Even though they're educators, safety is always first. You can't educate. Kids can't pay attention and listen in class if they don't feel safe. So the good news is my daughter is safer now. She's doing well. Um, I get to now share this on the podcast with everybody. Hopefully my own personal experiences didn't bore you. If they did, you know, I'm sure there's other podcasts you can listen to. But uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully you got something from this. And Heidi's going to like it because I just said hopefully three times. And I actually didn't mean to say it that time. So there you go, Heidi. That was for you. But um, if you're in a situation like this and this is going to help be helpful to you, um, please take note on some of these things. And if you know someone's in the situation, please encourage them to follow through. Take your time. Be calm and patient. Don't let your emotions get the best of you because the more you blow up, the less you're likely going to follow up. And as always, thank you for following Light the Fight podcast and for communicating with us on social media. And I would like to know because to be honest, I, I, I don't know if I want to share that email, but I'm willing to share it. So if you could please comment and let me know if you think that you'd want to see a picture of that because I don't want to bad this, like throw horrible press out of the school. However, I also don't want people to not do everything they can to keep kids safe. So if seeing this email can um, give you validation or, you know, maybe just give you proof that I'm not lying, you know, I, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would think I'm lying. But um, yeah, I had to read this a lot of times where I'm like, I can't believe that they just sent this email saying, here's what happened. If you have any questions, oh, that's what it says. If you have any questions, please email the vice principal have a good day. So to this day, um, the principal at the school, uh, I'm, I, I would love to talk to her. And I hope that she changes her policies and procedures. And I think it's a liability. And I hope they see that I'm untying their hands and helping them do things better instead of the way that they've always done. And they've done a lot of great things. But in this particular case, they have no bullying signs all around their school, but maybe they don't really know how to fall through when there is bullying. So let me know what you think. And uh, until next time, thanks for visiting Light the Fight, and I'm out.